Welcome to episode 78 of the Daz and Daz NBA podcast and uh, joined once again tonight uh, by Darren Hill. We're about to start the conference finals, Daz. You were all excited uh, to start the uh, the podcast tonight, but the loyal listeners would know that you like to crack a couple of IPAs when we have these discussions and uh, tonight was a little bit different in that sense, wasn't it? It was a little bit different and I finally got my stuff all finished and getting ready to go, launching all my, you know, all my research here and do my customary, very proud walk, you know, to the, um, to the cabinet where I got my, you know, um, custom made German imported, um, IPA glassware. Right. And, you know, pulled that down from the shelf, um, was peeking in for my, um, Akasha mosaic. It's the last of it. They only make it in special batches. And so you can't buy it anymore. And, um, so I had one four-pack left, last one that Camper Down Cellars had, and it's been sitting here waiting for actually for a few days, Daz, and have a drink this weekend. And I peeked inside, and I could see that the, like, what the heck? It looks like the, could it be? Like, the cans get separated from the four-pack? And now, sure enough, it's like two missing teeth, you know, like, um, there's two two cans missing from the four-pack. And and you if you know my wife, she doesn't touch the stuff. And so there's only one culprit, Daz. It's my fucking nanny. So the irony is I don't know whether to respect the guy for eschewing the fucking Corona and the Cooper's Green, which are sitting right next to it, right? The, let's call them the, the common man's tongue beers, which I thought this you know, uni student would go for. But no, he has taken upon himself to grab the Mosaic IPAs, mind you, at $8.50 per can retail. So um, <laughs> not that I'm counting my, my dollars, but these are the last four tins I'll have until next year when the mosaic bash comes out again. So so yeah, I got a little pepper on my on my tongue tonight, Daz. I'm a little bit fired up and I'm gonna um had three or four lined up and I've only got two. So there you go. What's the first world what's problem. the circumstance where he would be drinking beer while uh, overseeing the safety of your children? See now this is an interesting question that you bring up, Daz. That's exactly what was going through my mind. I didn't wanna Maybe we have like parent corner, like you know. Because <laughs> like I'm not sure what's worse: the fact that he corner. stole the beer out of your fridge, or the fact that he may very well be drinking at lunch while he's looking drinking after you. Whilst your with my child and driving him around all around the suburbs here to and from school. Yeah, right. But look, he was driving the step kid around. Fucking drink for your life, mate. Have a go. But when you got the purebred in the back of your van, you know, um, I'm going to be counting. <laughs> Count how many tins are in my fridge, buddy. So um, we'll see. He arrives at seven o'clock tomorrow morning, and we'll, uh, you know, we'll, we'll do that dance. You know, I'm not going to confront him about it. Like I'm going to look him in the eye, and we'll see if I'll give him that look. Like, will he know that I know that something was wrong with my refrigerator stock? So uh, just this is what you'll do: leave the leave the empty ones from tonight there, and just politely ask him if he can take them to the recycling, and just see what the the response is. <laughs> Nudge, nudge. Yeah. <laughs> okay, there's, oh. look, so we'll, we'll get on to some NBA, though, because we'll, we'll move away from that before you, you get in any further dark paths of, of thought. <laughs> um, the big the big news, this is how the NBA works now, the biggest news and the thing that we're most excited to talk about is not really the conference finals, which are about to take place, the first game of the West today and, and obviously game one of the East tomorrow. So we will get to that. But the big event today was the uh, NBA draft lottery and it's fair to say the whole league has been turned on its head Daz and we're now entering 
what is going to be the craziest, I think, off-season and, and potentially one of the most amazing off-seasons slash in, into the seasons that we've seen because there's so many moving pieces now. And, of course, if you haven't heard, uh, the New Orleans Pelicans ended up getting the number one pick. Uh, Memphis Grizzlies get the two pick, the Knicks get the three, and, and the Lakers get the four pick. Uh, what was your sort of first reaction when when you heard the news when I'd sort of sent you the text today that, that the Pels had ended up getting the number one pick? I'll be honest, Daz, it because I didn't get to see the, the lottery live, and so it was a lot to process, right? A lot to process. My, I'll be honest, my very first thought went to... Um, please God, did the Sacramento Kings not win the lottery, right? Because that pick was going to convey to the Celtics. And so I'll be honest to God, that was my first my first glance was the Celtics' top pick. Can you believe it? it was number 14, the, the worst possible pick they could have gotten from, from Sacramento mm. um, this year. And who would have thought a year ago, Daz, I think we were all probably thinking that's going to be a top three pick. Again, you and I, I think before the beginning of the season. Oh, well, I thought Philly was still in play. In yeah, like at the start of the year, I thought Philly no, was still in play. The keepers as, as top one protector. It was, yeah. So that that was great. I'll just quickly talk you through how I went through because I was I was watching it live, and we had our good friend Andrew Cleaver was online with me watching it, and I actually said to him. And they sort of were showing the representatives from each team. And then I realised David Griffin now, of course, with the Pels. And I actually made the comment to him. I said, you know who the lucky charm was for the Cavs for all those years? I said, it was David Griffin. I said, it's not Dan Gilbert's son who they've sent along again. And he sort of went, oh, ha, ha. And then as as the as the uh, the ping-pong balls came out or the, the sort of envelopes were open, it became apparent that the Pels had moved up. And, and, of course, the Lakers moved up first, then the Pels, then the Grizz. So you knew some of these teams had fallen out. And, of course, the Cavs fell down to five in the end. And then there's this sort of period where you're sitting back thinking, please don't tell me that the Lakers are going to get the number one pick. Like, that would have been... That would have just ruined so many things for me. Um, but then I sort of started to think about it and thought, well, hang on. The Lakers, the Knicks, and uh, the Pels... Right, were in play to get the number one pick. And I said at the time, I said, if any of those three teams get the number one pick, it's likely going to New Orleans because the Knicks had already said they were going to trade the one pick for, for AD. It was no doubt that the Lakers would have looked at least to trade that number one pick to the Pelicans. So the Pelicans were only in a... The only problem they had is if the Grizzlies got the number one pick. So, But to, for them to actually get the number one pick in the end as well, it opens up so many possibilities for them now and, and really, um, you know, the, the whole questions around Anthony Davis, they, they're certainly in a much better position and much more of a position of strength today than what they were yesterday and certainly what they would have been had they have gotten, say, the number 9 or 10 pick, which is where they were slated to go. That's right. I, so not only a much better position, I'll put a finer point on it, the um, the asset valuation of that franchise spiked today, right? Zion Williamson is probably in that. Um, he's he's one of those no brainer no brainer number one picks with the Carl Anthony Towns or the LeBron with, with an Anthony Davis. Ironically, right? He's up there with the absolute no brainer franchise altering, um, probably a multiple time All Star type of pedigree, right? And and, a, and on top of it, a pretty good character kid. 
um, seems to have a head in his shoulders. He also got a bit of a sense of humor. So this, he's as ready an NBA player from a temperament, from a personality, and from a basketball skill standpoint as you could possibly imagine. So I'd even go a step further for this moribund franchise that was stomped on for all of last season, um, stomped on by Clutch, stomped on by, by Anthony Davis, um, stomped on a bit by then by their owner, um, a bit uh, underappreciated and under undernourished, I'll be honest, especially in a town, right, with the college football town first, an NFL football town second, and a basketball town like ninth. Um, you know, to happen, what happened to the Saints? Like, so to sort of looked upon, looked down upon by their own, by their own ownership for most of the year. So for them to go from that, right, this this doormat through to they're going to have a, and this guy, what would he be worth if he sold him, right? Is he worth, uh, he's got to be worth something in the multiple hundreds of millions of dollars. Like, you'd be willing to pay this guy, right? Mm. So absolutely franchise-altering, potentially, right? He needs to play. Um, but a franchise-altering for, for the Pelicans. So I'm, I'm really happy for the fans, considering the, you know, they've got a small but a pretty dedicated, you know, little fan base there. So I'm happy for, for them, you've probably heard me talk a lot about how we were so quick to, to analyze and critique and, and hypothesize and rumor mill and murmur ourselves around all the possibilities of this stuff when, you know, what actually happens is the fans are who suffer the most from, you know, that's all folks t-shirts and all the comments that the stars make. So I'm happy for the fans that are um, um, either did stick with them or will come back because of this. So good on the Pels and, um, Good on that franchise, and yeah, I'm, I'm super excited, and I, I have a whole bunch of different ideas about what I think they, they might do, especially with, with Griffin the chair. So, I don't know. What do you did you have any, did you have any thoughts about? Um, I don't know where, where you want to go next. You want to dive into the Pell's potential, or do you want to finish out kind of what the, I guess the other things in the draft that jumped out at you? Well, I think we'll we'll cover the draft sort of closer to the time. I think I, I really want to just focus on the the Anthony Davis portion of this tonight and, and yeah, the Pels. Okay. I think how the and this is the well this is the public um, story that, that Griffin's putting out there is that he's spoken to Rich Paul and I get this I get some sense that he said to Rich Paul, if we get the number one pick, would you be willing to sit back down with us and let's talk about the signing the Supermax? And I think Rich Paul's probably said on behalf of AD, yep, let, let's let's see how that plays out. Thinking, look, it's a six percent chance. The chances are they're not going to get it, and we'll, and we'll move on anyway. Now that it's happened, I think there's no question they're going to sit down and try and get him to sign that supermax deal on July the first. And I think, to me, there's a non-zero probability he does sign it because I look at it and think, if you're Anthony Davis now and you look around the league landscape. And you think, okay, it's already the most money that anyone can pay him. Now, I understand money is probably not his, his primary motivator here, but it, it is that's still a factor that comes into it. So it's the most money you can get from anyone. Is there a better basketball situation now that he can go to other than New Orleans? Because I, I, if there is, I'm scratching my head trying to find it. Unless, Anthony Davis, you mean? Anthony Davis. Like, what's a what's a better basketball situation for him to go to than playing with Zion, Drew, himself? They've got a little bit of money for free with free agency coming up as well, um, that they can maybe bring in a few other role guys this year. And obviously, they're not going to be set up necessarily to contend straight away, but certainly within the next two or three years, with Zion and AD there, 
they're in a position to, to dominate the league landscape. Uh, so w- what's a better basketball situation for Anthony Davis than now staying in New Orleans? Well, I, I, I guess it's... I don't know what's inside of his head, right? I think that we... Um, so what does he want? Is uh, You're not asking what he wants and what's good for him. You're asking about what's the best basketball situation. right? I, I maintained... Um, up until the Zion conversation started to happen was that he would end up in a Kawhi like situation in a Paul George like situation where there's going to be a team who's not the Lakers and the Knicks who um, make an offer that's too good to refuse for New Orleans and some combination of players and, and picks and that he would have one year somewhere and, and kind of play off the string and then go wherever he wants to go, right? With LeBron or, with a clutch or whatever he wants to do. And so uh, that's where I probably would have thought he would have still had better basketball situations in the likes of Philadelphia or Boston or Indiana or, um, or heck, the Nuggets or teams, heck, even the Rockets. You never discount what they might be able to do, you know. Um, but that's next year. I mean, I'm thinking long term. If he, if he puts the long and, – and st- and looks at it long term and says, "Okay, then I'll well, sign as a free agent." Well, so who's good, who's going to be in the sweepstakes for that? So good question, right? So yeah. there's a there's a world where um, he takes the money to um, hedge against risk, i.e., you see what happens to Boogie um, and how much money he lost from his injury, and sees what happened to John Wall, who got the giant contract and then has even a, a, a more severe, well, similar injury, actually, didn't he? another Achilles. So I think there's a, there's a chance that he looks around and, and, and locks in the money. But I also think that the locking in the money doesn't lock you in the way we thought it would, because his trade value would still be far higher, even with the max contract, right? He still had pretty significant trade value, wouldn't he, Daz? Like, a, heck, even Blake Griffin got a decent return from the, from the Clippers, and we all kind of thought that was, that was a borderline untradeable contract, we thought. And they got Tobias Harris and some other pieces out of that, right? So you know, that was a, not a bad return. So I think I, would, I wouldn't necessarily conclude that if he signs the Supermax, that means he's locking into New Orleans for the long term. I think that perhaps if he, like, why would he sign the Max? And then, um, yeah, anyway, maybe, maybe it does lock it in. I'm arguing against myself. Because I think the logic might be don't sign the contract. See how, the, see how it goes on the court. See, how it, see what it's like playing with Zion get to know the guy and then just let the chips fall where the new Orleans can still salvage some sort of return if they flip him at the deadline. So for someone that, you know, acquire AD in, in end of January, early February is still, you know, quite appealing to, you know, teams where, you know, sort of, yeah, but I think the price, the price that people are going to pay goes down. Of course. Obviously. Well, look how much Tobias Harris got down. We well, that's, that's true. Really, that's true. Right? I suppose. So, if, if a yeah. team thinks this is this is the piece that's going to put, put us over the top and have a crack at the title, yeah, then you can still yeah. pick up a couple of first rounders and and some. Oh, look, I think I made the prediction to you today. I think Anthony Davis starts the season with the with the Pelicans. I'm not. I'm, I, I think it's still a long shot that he'll sign that super with an extension July or run. just on no, the expiring. No, I think just on the expiring. I think he'll start the yeah, season. Yeah. Because I look yeah. around, again, I look around the landscape and I think, okay, the Lakers, he's not going to the Lakers. Like that. If, if Ingram was, was healthy, I think you could talk yourself into the four pick Ingram, Kuzma, and even some, you know, even a Josh Hart, right? And go, there's a package. 
let's let's move him, you know. And I, and I think, it, you know, because Ingram was showing some signs, but with with Ingram uh, in the in the blood clot issue, I think Ingram's probably out of that now. So, but. That doesn't yeah. that, that doesn't discount the fact that Ingram might start next season and actually look really good, and the Lakers might you know let's say I'm, I'm you know I'm not as well up to date on this draft at the moment. Let's say they pick whoever it is at number four, and that rookie looks good as well, and and then that that package might have a little bit more um, attractiveness to it in sort of January February of next year. So the Lakers not completely out of it either, but I, I can't see the Lakers being able to put a package together before the season starts. Um, I think Boston are, are in trouble now as well because Kyrie probably gone from there. And if they bring Anthony Davis in on a one-year deal and he leaves, they might walk away from this whole era as with Gordon Haywood and, you know, uh, Jason Tatum. Like that might be all that they have to show for all these sort of assets that they once had. So I'm not sure Danny Ainge is going to be wanting to go down that path either. So I think... And given the fact that they can they can now look the league in the eye and say, we're not going to trade Anthony Davis, we're going to stand pat and start the season with him, I don't think anyone's going to think they're bluffing. I think it's... I'm probably more in the camp of taking it from the perspective of David Griffin, which is brand-new executive, literally just got there, um, and suddenly has a very complex you know, series of decisions to make. Not complex, but right, hugely impactful decisions to make. Um, literally the next month. Um, if he thinks back at his time right at, at, at in Cleveland, now look, he didn't have a chance to trade LeBron, so I'm not calling this apples to apples, but if you come into a situation and watch what happens to, you know, what happens to Paul George and Indiana getting good good value in return or different circumstance, but, you know, Clippers getting value for for Chris Paul and, and for Blake in that regard and, you know, versus letting, you know, letting the free agent walk, you know, walk for nothing. And for a guy being brand new into a job in a city like New Orleans who'd gone through the ringer like they had last year, um, a fan base who'd crumbled, right, in a very vibrant football town, it's that he's really got to handle this, this AD situation, right? So for me, if I'm David Griffin, my mindset is which risk is worth taking for me? Do I believe that I can, um, I am uniquely qualified because of all my time with them? With clutch, can I negotiate with them and convince them and persuade them that I'm going to build a a club and that you know the marketing and business opportunities outside of basketball are going to be rich enough for them that you know I I think I can convince clutch to take this deal and have AD sign up long term. Is that the possibility? Is that that's a risky probability, or? Is the risk taking uh, that he, um, you don't bother with that, and you can't trade him for anything, right? So I go, which one of those, which one of those risks is is worth taking? The risk of trying to work with Clutch or having AD go for nothing, right? Trying to play out the year, and I, I just can't believe he thinks he can go out, and um, I just don't believe if I'm David David Griffin, I look, I got a now a 19 year old potential superstar, um, I got a warrior 29 year old Drew Holiday who can who can seemingly play with just about everybody, terrific teammate, um, still really solid two-way player. I go, why wouldn't I take AD, who's a risk? He's a Kawhi. He's a Paul George. He's just such a risk. Why wouldn't you flip him now f- for maximum value? 
um, and get a couple young players and a couple picks so that you can do two things. One, get some young players to pair around Zion and build a bit of a new culture and set yourself up with a couple of picks in the future. So having some sort of deal like that, whether it's a Tatum plus picks or Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart plus picks, or even a, again, like you said, Kuzma Ingram plus picks, or Lord knows what other sort of things out there, Kevin Knox plus all the Dallas first-rounders from New York, whatever. I think if I'm David Griffin, that path to me feels um, defensible in the eyes of the fan base, probably defensible in the eyes of the ownership group who, right, who very publicly shamed and wanted nothing to do with Anthony Davis for his, let's call it, shenanigans. So defensible for the fan base, defensible on the ownership, and a story you can sell your locker room, which is I'm here to build something longer term with a guy with, with guys who really want to be here and we're going to lock in. So I'm actually more in the opposite camp. I think that I'm going to put more of my faith into the in David Griffin, um, working the phones, working his relationships. He's got a good, I, I probably, I don't know, he's, he has this called a, a long history with Clutch. I don't know how good the relationship is, but obviously a long history with them. And so I think he's going to be able to navigate something and get it done um, before July, around July 1. That's my feeling. Well, I think th- this is what I think there's no doubt. He, the posturing that he will do will be that we're, ha- we're going to be looking to bring him back. And that's our first option. And that yeah. is obviously to yeah. bump his trade value up. My my concern is, and I think there's two things. I think, yes, he's going to be trying to negotiate with Clutch and just see what, he, what is the possibility this guy's going to sign here long term. Uh, and But I, I also think they're going to look around the league landscape and say, well, what, uh, what is the value we're getting? And then I look at it from the point of view of what's the ceiling of this team, Right. So the ceiling of this team, if AD stays, is you've got Anthony Davis and Zion essentially now going to be the, the, the core of the team going forward. Like, that's a that's an NBA champion level ceiling. Whereas the ceiling, if you trade Anthony Davis and, you, and who knows who you're bringing in, I think the ceiling gets a bit lower from there, but... The floor is probably a bit higher than if you try and keep Anthony Davis and you and you sw- and you miss, well then your floor probably drops down a little bit lower and maybe you end up in the same situation the franchise just found itself in, where after six seven years of having a superstar player, you haven't been able to build a contender around him. So, I think there's those two sort of things that they're going to look at uh, and see what sort of what sort of deals are going to be around the league and and what that does to I guess that sort of you know what's our ceiling now if we bring those guys in um, and and does that make us uh, take away the risk of us obviously getting nothing and I mean it's not necessarily nothing either I, I think if Anthony Davis leaves in the sense that at least they'll have some cap space if he walks away and then you can build around and I think people will want to come in and play with Zion to some extent as well so it, there's no doubt it's going to be a, a fascinating a fascinating thing who do you think last question on this before we move on to the conference finals which team do you feel if I said the Anthony Davis is going to be traded um, you know, around July 1st what, what team do you think is in the best I mean do you still think it's going to be one of these sort of OKC slash Toronto type situations or do you think Boston's still in, in the box seat um, to pull this trade off um, the money is hard to match on Boston that's, that actually is a, it's not a small factor um, and we've seen the asset devaluation, particularly of Jason Tatum. I'd even argue that the, the way his asset has been devalued is similar, um, if not equal to what has happened in the Lakers with, with, um, 
with Ingram's illness and Kuzma kind of proving to be kind of one-dimensional and Josh Hart didn't have a didn't have a very good fit, did he? No. So look, um, I probably haven't thought a lot a lot about this, but what about a team like the Clippers, who has a combination of young players and a bunch of extra picks they got from obviously from um, from Philadelphia, um, and they got enormous amounts of cap space. So imagine getting Anthony Davis, slotting him into cap space, freeing up some more money, and then being able to pair and make him even make that franchise even more attractive you know, to like the Kawhis and could that, couldn't Anthony Davis and Kawhi Leonard, you know, be, be kind of a cornerstone for, for the Clippers franchise. And so would, could you get, could you get New Orleans attention with a, you know, a Montrez Harrell, Shea Gilgis Alexander and a couple of picks, right? Well, the problem with the Clippers is a lot of their contracts, the money they would need to send back are expiring contracts. So well, that's right. That's why I said it's like it's a yeah. That's right. That's yeah. where it gets a bit problematic. For you them. might need to throw a Gallo in there because I think he's got one year left. Yeah, I mean, and yeah. they probably yeah. were in a better position to do the trade when Tobias Harris was still on the roster. Um, so you know. true. I, I'm just I, I you, it's a good point. I haven't worked through all the numbers, but I I was just. But I agree. I mean, the, I think certainly that the Clippers yeah. are a team that you could see um, putting themselves. Look, what, actually, I've got one last question on this. What's the chances of do you think there's any chance the Bucks are going to look at this and either try and put together a trade package, which I think is unlikely, or say let's not let's not blow all our load this summer. Let's try and make sure we've got a max slot open for the following summer and see what we can do then. Um, I don't think either are going to be true. I I think my my reading of of Bud. And um, and his relationship with Horst and what appears to be everything authentic with Giannis is that I really believe that they might be building something, you know, Tim Duncan-y like, which is let's build ourselves a system and a culture that just reinforces year after year after year, so we don't have to go through. We don't. We, we're going to build something so different than what Cleveland built around LeBron or what New Orleans didn't build or what Cleveland didn't build around LeBron and what New Orleans didn't build around Anthony Davis. So I actually believe that they're more likely to sign bloody Chris Middleton to another, to a ridiculous contract and bring some combination back of Brooke, um, Nico Miritich and, and, and the likes and Brogdon, et cetera. So two things there, right? When I think they're building for the long term, two, I think they're going to probably air for, for stability and keeping the band back together. Um, so just and I think by doing that they'll have no slots open next year either. Daz, I think they'll continue to use MLE and um, and increasingly right a you know they'll, they'll get reinforcements the way you know they did this year or Houston and Golden State can continue to do year after year when you are contenders where you get decent veterans you know in at the debt uh, at the buyout to reinforce the roster in a well, way uh, perhaps couldn't use. I just thought they've got a few guys on expirings. Do they maybe try and bring those guys back on one-year deals, but but overpay them a little bit to bring them back on one-year deals and yes. then make sure yeah. that they do that? That That's a possibility, I think, for the Bucks. They also just don't have any assets, so they, they will never get into Certainly the not the trade. Yeah. I can't see, no. I can't see yeah. where the trade would come in. So anyway, look, we'll, we'll move on from that. We'll, we'll sort of see I, how it plays out, I guess. My last, I guess my last thought bubble was with the different angle, right, was, which is the, so I think there's a David Griffin angle, and you're exactly right, there's then the, um, which team might get in the best basketball situation. Then there's the kind of, you know, I guess, you know, I play with a couple of ideas, and these are just speculative, but um, when I start thinking about Drew Holiday, 
who's hard as nails, and Zion Williamson, who I think he's got lots of defensive tools. He's not probably there yet, but my goodness, the physicality, the rim protection, the help, the help defense, right, and just that that chase down block, menacing LeBron-like, dragon-like, you know, presence on defense. Um, if he could develop, I go. Wouldn't it be fun, just on paper, if you could find a way? Maybe Danny Ainge is so Machiavellian he gets Al Orford to opt into his thirty million <laughs> and trades into the money matches. So it's like a Horford, Jalen Brown, and Marcus Smart. What I was really thinking about was Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, and if you can find a way to make the money work, I just thought about what a fun team that would be, right? What a unique team if you had Drew Holiday, Marcus Smart. There is by far your best defensive backcourt in the NBA. And talk about a backcourt that it could F up and disrupt an aging, you know, Golden State or an aging Houston backcourt with Zion and Jalen Brown doing Jalen Brown things, two very kind of bookish, heady young guys that are super athletes. I go, that is a fun, that's a fun conceptual team. So if I'm David Griffin, I'm looking at the best, what's the best personality and type of team I want is a bunch of brainiacs who play, uh, who play both sides of the ball. And so I thought, fuck Jason Tatum, give me, give me Jalen Give me Marcus Smart and give me a way to fill out the make the money work. So that was mm-hmm. my my little just thinking about a fun sort of core um, for for New Orleans to have. Did you have any fantasies little cores like that where you thought if you could if you could get player X or player Y that they would you know be a good sort of comp complement to Zion and to, to Drew? No, I haven't. Not not in terms of a trade yet. I mean, yeah. Um, I, I do look at Denver and think there's some assets there, but I just wonder if yes. Denver, yeah. um, you know, if you get the Jamal Murray, Gary Harris, uh, you know, um, the, who's the small forward that they brought, Tory Craig, maybe like those sort of guys, um, and just put put around as you say, defense and a bit of scoring as, as well. Um, that's that's a team that's going to give give other teams some real problems uh, in the Jokic and AD and Jokic and AD together oh my goodness so you know that that could be very interesting as well that would be very fun well I think I mean the Lakers get less desirable by the day for any player don't they with the train wreck that's going on there at the moment like you've just had the the, the nonsense that happened with the coaching situation, which we'll probably talk about in, in terms of their off-season previews, etc. But um, that that's just going. The the circus is is come to town. It hasn't left us. Like with with Jason Kidd and Frank Vogel there next year, like it is that is not um, going to be an environment that's conducive to good basketball, in my opinion. It there is now a three-team race for um, the wretched refuse of the league, the, the, the steaming pile of dumpster fires, the, the train wrecks of train wrecks between the Phoenix Suns, um, the New York Knicks, and the Los Angeles Lakers. Like, the Lakers have shown, other than the complete accidental, uh, uh, circumstantial way they got LeBron James, let's just put it that way, with, with Magic bailing out, with Jeannie Buston picking another sycophant in Los Angeles Lakers lore and Kurt Rambis, keeping bloody Rob Palinka, um, running a good coach out of town, and then completely stuffing up the coaching hire. Oh, my goodness gracious. Oh, and it's just, yeah. Uh, how AD, how could Clutch Sports can, can conceive that that's going to be a conducive environment is beyond me. Um, it's, you, you protect... You project nothing but turmoil for the next 
It will. There'll be nothing but turmoil until probably Genie hands over the reins and and or someone strong is brought in to be a, a pobo uh, on top of on top of everything, and she steps away, truly, truly steps away, and get a pobo to set up a system of, of basketball operations there. So yeah, Look, yeah. Even I can't yeah. imagine AD would want to play there now. I, I still think, think Phoenix. Just... Phoenix are in the class of their own. Like they're not even an NBA franchise at the moment. They're like. They're like Will Ferrell in semi-pro days. They just they're in some that's true. Some bush Jackie league. Yeah. They're bush league. They are some the bush league. So yeah. They are just yeah. an absolute yeah. joke of a franchise. So um, let's move on. We'll talk Eastern Conference Finals first. As uh, that's the, the game one um, is tomorrow in that series. Now, since we last spoke, Milwaukee predictably uh, went out and, and torched Boston in Game Five. That was that was a laugher. That one right, pretty much right from the start. The Boston, uh, oh, sorry, Milwaukee never really got out of first gear, and neither did Boston, sadly for their fans. Uh, so that one, I watched a little bit of that one. I did love the fact that Milwaukee kept their foot on the accelerator and just rolled straight over the top of them. And even when the game was over as a contest, they were still coming out and, and landing haymakers because I think in the back of their mind they thought we need to send a message to these guys if we meet them again in the playoffs next year they're still going to be trying to get over the, how bad a loss this one was. Uh, so I, I did like the mentality that Milwaukee had uh, in closing that series out. The, but obviously the other series went seven games. Uh, I was pretty confident last week, if you remember, Daz, that, that Philly could bounce back and actually take this one. Yeah, you're seven. right. Uh, and the, look, Philly had every chance uh, to win this game. They just the, the problem for Philly was... I've never seen a stat like this with the Joel Embiid on-off court, Daz. I mean, forget Jan Mahimni. This is now the true plus-minus champion. It is. He was plus, and I might get the figures slightly out, but it was around plus 93 when he was on the court, and they were minus 112 when he was off the court. And yes. even in game, even in Game 7, uh, he was off the court for all of two and a half minutes, and they were minus nine. In that two and a half minutes, I think it was actually minus twelve. It was right. minus twelve. Was... So it, it was minus twelve for him in his. He played forty-five minutes and eleven seconds. I remember this exactly. Yeah, and he was a he was a. So they lost by two, and he was a plus ten. Yep, that's right. That's right. So they lost by two, and he was a plus ten in forty-five minutes. Can you believe that? Now so is that minus... on? Is that on Brett Brown for not being able to? in the season, come up with a, a five-man unit that, that goes, you know what, if we need to give Joel Embiid rest, here's the five-man unit that I can rely on. Or is it on the front office for just not getting a backup centre that they could trust uh, throughout the season? Or was it just a matter of circumstance and this is a terrible matchup for them without Embiid on the court? Or probably a little bit of everything? A little bit of everything, a little bit of... A little bit of um, again, there's much maligned and beleaguered um, medical and conditioning staff there in Philadelphia that, you know, you've got That's a you great know, all point. season, all season to get Joel right. You know, um, Draymond Green is a freak of nature. And if we hear the, the, the stats correct and your, uh, it passes the eye test as well. He lost something like 23 pounds in three weeks or four weeks, right? In, in March, and boom, suddenly fat Draymond, who wasn't doing anything in December and, you know, screaming at Kevin Durant, decides, you know what, I'm going to get myself a chef and I'll figure this out and, yep, done eating burgers and whatever, and bang, and he's he's transformed himself. Uh, Kevin Love's done it. Uh, Gallinari's gotten his body right this year, on and on and on. 
And so I kind of go, they've not, they've not done that with Joel. So something's not going right there. I've no idea what, how much of that is on him and the staff and their culture. And, but I, I think I would say it's probably more a function of the front office. I think we even saw today, Brett Brown was um, supported and came out very publicly by uh, one of the owners, Chris Harris, I think it was, or Joe Harris, one of the Harris guys and said, Brett's our coach. He's not going anywhere, which for me, puts even more pressure on um, a neophyte Elton Brand, who, man, he might have already Dell Dempston himself out of a job, as if they don't have a spectacular offseason to, I think they absolutely positively have no choice but to retain Jimmy Butler. They have no choice, is my view. And then that means you're going to probably have to let Tobias Harris go. Anyone with half a mind would say that it's, he's a redundancy on that roster, He's probably a really good player when he's got higher usage and more freedom, and right, and a lot more space, you know, to play. I.e., Jason Tatum last year. I.e., Tobias Harris on the Clippers. <clears throat> when you ask him to be a fourth and fifth man, you know, he won as a fourth and fifth man. Malcolm Brogdon to spot up shoot, right? Mm. Or <laughs> Clay Thompson in Golden State, or uh, P.J. Tucker, right? Awesome role players who are great at their roles. Not a guy who probably could be a, you know, a borderline all-star on a seven-seed, six-seed sort of team. So I think Tobias Harris is a terrible fit, and they gave up a lot there. Um, good player, good guy, good stretchiness, good skills. He'll have a long career. He's bounced around, but he's just—I think—he's redundant there. So that's a long way of. of well, I think the they'll bring them all back. I, I think they'll bring—they'll pay the money, bring all oh, this boy. time back, assuming Butler signs, which I think he will. They've already bought Brett Brown back. Uh, all committed to Brett Brand, so that's that's going to be. And I mean, look, in the end, you think they, they'll offer? You think they'll offer two maxes to Tobias and Jimmy and go way into the tax? That's what I've well, that's what I've heard. Absolutely no bench. That's what I've right? read. That they are willing to pay to keep this team together, and that was part of the thing about bringing Brand yeah. back as well. So I'm going back. So so then I go, okay, right. So they that does nothing, literally nothing to solve for your Joel Embiid health problems, your Joel Embiid fitness problems, and your X's and O's and rotation problems for for how, how he plays, right? Obviously, Greg Monroe, the main culprit, you know, good guy Greg Monroe, I think he played, he was a minus nine in two minutes during that stretch. Minus nine in two minutes, Daz. Um, I know a lot of that, so there's a gargantuan amount of noise in that. But as you just said, it proved out over the seven games. Well, it was over series. seven games. It wasn't, that's yeah. not just a small sample it size. It wasn't just a small sample. Eventually, that's exactly right. So yeah. so um, it's all kind of intertwined there. I think you've hit all the all the high points. It's a, um, That was a team I was not afraid of at all in this playoffs as a, as a fan of the Bucks. Um, and it's, um, yep, one crazy shot short of an overtime where – I don't know who anything could happen in overtime, but um, oh, it was a horrible game. I mean, it was a real game seven rock fight. I mean, there was a game seven earlier that, that I thought was really ugly between Portland and Denver. And yeah, this, so this game, were, they yeah, said, uh, yeah. "Do you think that's ugly?" And they said, "Hold my beer, watch this." And uh, they barely cracked ninety points, both teams, and it was really just 
Kawhi ISO on one end and Butler, Embiid, your turn, my turn, ISO at the other end. Uh, and Philly were taking so long to get into whatever they were trying to do offensively. There was multiple shot clock turnovers late in the game. Uh, and of course, it did come down to Kawhi hit a couple of big shots, but particularly the, the last shot, which, you know, dare I say, a little bit of an element of luck does <laughs> when you, you're tossing up one that hits the front of the rim. But uh, it bounced around, and, and after, you know, they, they had. They shot rim out and in game one last year against the Cavs, maybe they were due for a bit of luck and, and this one dropped. And I did think about that that moment last year when Valentunas had all those put-back opportunities and, and DeRozan had the one that just, just sort of rimmed out on them and I thought, well, they, they were due for a change of luck. So they got the luck, uh, the luck of the bounce there, and uh, they move on. And, and there's no doubt about this, Daz. I mean, Kawhi Leonard is playing at peak peak Kawhi Leonard and when, when people were talking about Kawhi earlier this year about an, as an MVP candidate and, and how well he was playing in Toronto and I thought people haven't seen, people forget how good this guy was in San Antonio like he's not even scratching the surface of what he is able to do on a basketball court during the regular season we're seeing in the playoffs uh, that I think he's been you know him, KD, and, and Yars have sort of been dueling off who's the player of the playoffs so far. So that's going to be the interesting thing, I think, uh, with him now, you know, going up against Giannis uh, in, in in the Eastern Conference Finals. But he obviously, he'll need a few more players to come along for the ride than probably what did against, or certainly than what did against Philadelphia. <laughs> He probably could just use one player to come along for the ride. Well, he had I mean, one was, game was... to game. Like, certain games, certain guys stepped up. But I think he's going to need Larry. Game seven. Yeah, Larry. 39, Barker, to 39 of the 87 shots, did he? 39 of the 87 shots. Yeah. Right? I get that. And, again, people have broken this down in much more detail than I will and in, in the days you know before we've recorded here. But, I mean, you just they will just re- recap the highlights. Mark Gasol didn't want to shoot. Kyle Lowry didn't want to shoot. Pascal Siasson couldn't shoot. And that sums up your team. There go. They just were, I don't know, too hesitant, too lacking confident, too not able to create uh, any of their own shots in a very physical game, too ten- whatever the word is, whatever the reasons was. It was uh, quasi, all right, I guess I'll do this every time. So I actually give him a lot of credit. For me, I don't even... Again, I'm a, I'm a bit of a, a bit of a dick this way, which is I'm just going to say it. I'll call myself a dick when I go. Sorry, the game was tied. You know, these buzzer beaters and the game is tied just don't have anywhere near the same impact if they were down by one point, right? Now you do something like Dane did and pull up from 37 feet. Now you got my attention, right? So um, with that context, um, what I give Kawhi more credit for was the way he right, sprinted up, ran off the pick perfectly, caught the ball almost in the left top of the key, Daz, and just rocketed, right? He rocketed around the right side, down the right elbow, and pulled up, and Embiid, again, to Embiid's credit, trailed him really well. He got in this, he, he contested as, as good as anyone could contest that shot. And so the credit I actually give Kawhi is the process, right? Well, that was it. When I watched the shot again, I was like, I can't believe he got to that spot. Because there's only four seconds left. And I was like, how did he get there? That's right. And I go, that's the thing, right? I go, that genuinely is the thing that no one else in the Eastern Conference has, right? That that makes me as a Bucks fan go, holy shit. 
that is that's MVP level play. You oh, can no grab question. the ball 30 feet from the basket on the veer on the left hand side of the top of the key with four seconds and just race to the corner when everyone knows what you're going to do and rise up the way he rose up. And I go, that was, that was, that's, that's MVP level sort of play, whether it bounced in four times, that's maybe if I saw it in real time, would have had a lot more impact on me. So to be fair, I'm a bit of a cynic, but um, well, if I seen it in real time, I probably would have reacted the way I reacted to Dame, which was pretty spectacular. I just say, I, I laughed when it went out. It wasn't like Dame, it was like I jumped there the chair and went, holy fuck. Yeah, that, that, was, a, you see that? that was a Whereas, dagger. It was like the yeah. Team Wolf shot, I think I said to you yeah. at the time. It was just, it bounced around the rim that many times and then ended up falling. But the more I watched it, the the better it got because then you got the, you, you watch the reaction of the different players. So Kawhi's yeah. basically sitting in the crowd and then the whole team goes. He's squatting. He's squatting on the baseline. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. then Embiid starts crying. And so Gasol celebrates and then Gasol goes over and and uh, consoles Embiid. So, um, yeah, well, I thought it was – and look, fair play to Philly too. We've seen a couple of teams lose this playoffs and you sort of – I like to see the reaction of some of these teams, and I think Philly sort of took took it on the chin and, and took it and handled it with a bit of class. They uh, did. Un- unlike yeah. some yeah. other players might have done in, say, Houston uh, when they went out uh, last week. But um, look, there's, yeah. there's, there's also some stats being thrown around about uh, Giannis being guarded by Kawhi and the fact that uh, Kawhi was actually quite a, an effective defender against Giannis. Now, this is... You talk about small sample size bias. This was a ridiculously small sample size. But it is something, I guess, that's going to be interesting for uh, for Toronto to see, well, how do they actually try and guard Giannis? I mean, do they just go, you know what, let, let's unleash Kawhi on him a little bit. I actually think Kawhi works better when he's in that sort of free safety role where you've actually got of the other some of the other guys like Siakam and Ibaka etc taking on some of the more one-on-one defensive assignments and, and Kawhi can sort of pick his pick his moments but do you have any thoughts I mean looking at the two and uh, what they play um, was it four games this year or three that they played against one another Bucks won three of the four, um, was four. Kawhi, was Giannis, four. Kawhi and Giannis both missed one game and it was, <laughs> happened to be they both missed the same game so the Bucks were um, two and one in the games where both of them played, right? Um, so, yeah. Look, I don't. I think it's insane if you if you're going to put Kawhi on um, on Giannis, probably for the same reason that when you look at the um, at the Boston series when you had um, Al Horford getting run ragged because if Giannis is going to be bringing the ball up the court, which he often does, and like you, you can't have Kawhi Leonard defending Giannis from 50 feet and then um, trying to keep him out of the lane. And then chasing him into the lane and trying to, you know, keep him off off the block and out of the out of the paint. I think Kawhi is just too short, so he's probably done well. But I'd have to go back and look more at specific plays, Daz. But um, I think that's a, that's probably a terrible use of Kawhi's Kawhi's time. I think in this series, when you've got really long players like um, even Gasol, who when um, Giannis gets more in the interior is probably a solid defender, and then. Um, Ibaka, if Ibaka can play, he needs to play better. Ibaka's lost. A, I think a lot, I think I saw him watch this eye test. I'd have to again, I haven't seen it, but the eye test for me says either is fatiguing or it's been at 100. But Ibaka should be able to also be a pretty good test for Giannis. 
Um, so that's what I would do. I wouldn't. I wouldn't waste Kawhi chasing Giannis around the perimeter and in the block. That's just way too much energy drain. Let let Kawhi defend Chris Middleton. It's a much more natural fit, and Kawhi can just almost negate, you know, negate Middleton, who was very effective for for uh, three or four of those games against Boston. Um, and when he gets rolling, he can get rolling. So that's what I'd do: is negate your number two score, um, force Giannis to um, to go more one and one and play into the double team. So take away Middleton. And you can you know get yourself a four on four situation, which I think might favor Toronto in that regard. On the other side of the ball, right? So to kind of I get the question, but it is a bit, you know, looking at the elephant through a keyhole, where the stat that um, was maybe one of the more incredible stats, almost compared to the the Embiid on off statistics, was in the four games that the Bucks played Toronto this year. There's a game when Kyle Lowry was held scoreless. Did you know? In the 122 possessions where Eric Bledsoe defended Kyle Lowry in the four games this year, 122 possessions, Kyle Lowry scored how many points? He scored zero. He literally scored zero points when he was defended one-on-one by Eric Bledsoe in their four games this year. Now, are they playing differently? Is he playing differently? Are the team different? Absolutely. Like Marcus Saul wasn't on the squad when they, when they played it all this year. But I think both teams will have really attractive um, defensive advantages against the other one. I think again, Kawhi can completely lock down Middleton. I think Bledsoe can completely lock down the point guards on Toronto. So I think how Toronto initiates their offense is going to be very, very interesting. And if you like, if the Bucks can turn Toronto into a forcing Kawhi to play like the Kawhi played in Game Seven against Philly, I, all my chips are going on Milwaukee. Yeah. So if you if you reduce Toronto to Kawhi having to do what Kawhi did, turn him into Russ Westbrook, turn him into James Harden determined to Kawhi versus Philly game seven, the Bucks just have way too many ways to beat you. And they're just way deeper than Toronto. And they'll win those on off moments when Kawhi sits for, you know, six, seven minutes. They'll just, they could steamroll. So that's my kind of in a nutshell, both teams have advantages. I think the physical matchups can be really interesting. Toronto is absolutely long, strong and smart enough to, um, to keep Giannis from being peak Giannis. And, um, but I guess I'm kind of confident as a Bucks fan. Um, having seen what they did to, to Boston, I don't really have reason not to be. Well, Kawhi absolutely is to be respected and feared, absolutely. But um, I like I like my odds, I guess. Yeah. A sneaky guy that they've lost that we probably haven't spoken about, and no one's really spoken about, is OG Ananobi, who was uh, appendicitis. Yeah, yeah, wasn't wasn't having a, a great sophomore season. It's fair to say, but. That's still a guy that they would love to have in a series like this in particular. And uh, they went to a seven-man rotation uh, in Game 7, so Norm Powell didn't play at all. I, I expect he'll obviously come back into the rotation here. But uh, I, I like the fact that the Bucks really haven't haven't been pushed at the moment, and they're going to come in fresh. I, I'm not too worried about the fact that they've been off. I mean, it's... It, Early on in the games, it, it can be a bit of a worry, but I think always it's better to have that rest than not have the rest. Um, so game one can be a temp, can be a possible well, banana skin right. for, for Milwaukee. But at the end of the day, I think the fact that Milwaukee's depth is there, um, they've got a number of guys. I think they can call on if they need to within this series that we haven't even really seen yet. Whereas Toronto is just that straight straight up eight man rotation, and I think. And one of the and the reason I bring it up is one of the strengths I found in Toronto in the season was how well they played when Kawhi wasn't on the court, 
and they had a very good record even in the games Kawhi didn't play. And that seems to have just gone away in the playoffs. I mean, this, this team's reverted to form Well, but in that that's sense. That's a great point because remember what we talked about, and it's still true. They're, they're, they're like a schizophrenic, schizophrenic. When Kawhi's off the court, they have to play so differently, right? They have to play so differently. It's like removing KD from, from Golden State. We'll talk about them in a minute. It just changes everything about their team. So when Kawhi comes off, you got a completely different style of play, which, you know, point guard initiated, a little high post stuff with Gasol, um, a little bit of, you know, they can play some of those weird pick and rolls, like 2-4, two, 2-3 two, with Danny Green and the Baca, or pick and pop, even 2-5, Danny Green, Gasol, or, you know, Lowry doing stuff with Danny in the corner. He's, he's get more interesting stuff. And when Kawhi's on the court, it's, a, all right, ISO, um, terrific, often terrific ISO play. But he's not a very good passer or a playmaker, but he's a scintillating, right? Um, you know, shot maker, shooter, um, shot creator. So that's what's weird about them, right, Des? It's just got, you've got that. How do you, how do you gear your team up to play two completely different styles of basketball? And again, I finally have fully de- appreciated it watching the Bucks. And I go, Giannis can sit and they don't change. And Bledsoe can sit, and they don't change. The Bucks will just be the Bucks for 48 minutes, and they'll win and lose with you know the you know the replaceable parts. So that'll be an interesting dynamic. And then the other part, I guess, is to touch on, we probably should move on, is the just the psychological element of it, right? Toronto, probably by many arguments, was that the greatest moment in Raptors history? Oh, no question, no question. Right, right. The vindication of trading Demar and the emotions of that, and the you know, a really hard-fought seven-game series that was in, absolutely in the balance to the very to the very end, and you know, obviously this seminal moment, which would go down in NBA history as one of the, if not one of the greatest, one of the most memorable shots you'll it will be seeing that play for 50 years, right? And so they go, you've done that two days rest on an airplane to go play a team who's way better than Philadelphia. That's hard. That's really, really hard. So I go, but but. but don't discount, right? The Bucks got wiped in game one against Boston. So if you told me that the Bucks um, were to go back to Toronto tied one-to-one, I'd actually be pretty happy with that because what that tells me is that if if Toronto wins game one, I go, they've come off this epic high and somehow mustered the energy to win game one on the road, they're going to have nothing left for game two. So Toronto will win one. They'll have nothing left for game two. They'll have to travel back to Toronto, and I'm liking the Bucks' chances in Game Three. So that's kind of what I'm looking at it. Where this is again the advantage of finishing early and being home as a one seed is I think that I'm actually still feeling pretty good if it had to go one-one back to Toronto. Well, so, I think uh, we saw today the value of having that little bit of extra time, and uh, Portland played like they were still playing Denver for the first of the half, probably three quarters <laughs> yeah. of that game until they realised, hang on, we're actually playing Golden State here, so we better, we better come up with a, with a plan B. And even Steve Kerr said after the game, he said, I don't think they had much time to prepare. I expect them to uh, to make some adjustments for game two. So we'll get to that series shortly. But I, I, I like the Bucks in this series, that I think they're going to win. I, I think it'll be six games. I mean, I, th- I actually think it'll probably be 2-2 two, two after four games. Uh, but I think the Bucks will, will come home in Game 5 and then the pressure might be a bit too much for Toronto to be um, at home. And it wouldn't be a playoffs if Toronto didn't have a heartbreaking loss at home at some stage. So I'm, I'm expecting <laughs> that's going to happen in Game 6, Daz. But, uh, and look, I, I, I just think 
I'm going to be interested to see what Toronto do defensively. And that's why I sort of went on the on the Kawhi yeah. side of things because I think yeah. I think they're going to give the Bucks a number of different looks defensively, um, and I, I think that's going to be the fascinating thing to see what works, what doesn't work, and does it sort of throw Giannis and the Bucks off their game a little bit to sort of keep them on their toes and say, we're going to show you a bit of zone, maybe we're going to show you, uh, we're going to put the wall up and drop and cut off the driving lanes and leave a few guys open, then we're going to go you know, one-on-one a bit more. So I, I think you're going to see some of those sort of things from from Toronto in this series. I'm, I'm interested to see how the Bucks react to that um, when they're put under a bit of pressure defensively because they haven't been under any pressure at all. I mean, Boston were just embarrassingly bad on defence uh, in the first... And that's well, the worry for the Bucks. They just, they've had such poor play by the two teams and, and I Detroit were... I don't know if I agree with that because I think Boston's failings were... They're poor... What happened to them is that... Well, some teams, right, when they don't play defense, they can't initiate offense, they struggle. Boston's the opposite. When those shots aren't falling, then you start to see the lapses on defense. So what I saw is, like, Boston was terrific in game one, right? And the national media and every Boston writer and Nick Friedle and everyone said, oh, I told you, we're going to run Brook Lopez off the court and pay him <laughs> off the court and pick and pop Horford. Like, they'll pick one tiny dimension, one tiny aspect of a game, and if it comes true then it is 100% the reason why a team won, right? Just myopic idiotic, idioticness. Idiocy and whatever, or else you might bastardize the word idiot. Um, Boston steamrolled game one. Boston also played very well in the first halves, right? If you look at the halftime scores, Daz, Boston was up or it was very close. What happened was it's just the, the, the metronome, the irresistible force of Giannis just kept coming and kept coming and kept coming and kept coming and, kept coming and just... Al Horford just wore down, and Marcus Morris couldn't chase Middleton. So I actually think it was more of, let's, I, I get a little bit sick of saying, oh, Boston got tired, or Boston broke down, or didn't have, guess what? It was done to them. But what the Bucks did caused them to have defensive breakdowns, caused them to be out of position, caused them to get physically overmatched. So it's not like some the Bucks are this passive, invisible force, and everything is about Boston and what they didn't do. They got fucking steamrolled. As the game wore on, they got tired and they got and they had lapses because of the relentlessness and the execution and the inside-out play and Bledsoe or Giannis was always breaking them down. Right, so that's what happens over 48 minutes. So oh, that's I where I get was, a little bit. There was also an element though that Boston had a plan. It worked in game one, and they just kept going to the same plan. That's how it sort of looked to me. And I once once. Milwaukee worked that plan out. And once Giannis got comfortable, I think they just let Giannis get too comfortable. And I think we've we've applied like Giannis as, as hard as it is to mark, to mark him up. I think you've just for got what, to give him a for whatever looks. reason, right? Because what happened was is that because um, Giannis was frustrated and in foul trouble and shot under fifty percent for game one and right, all that sort of stuff. What happened was Bud just put the ball in his hands, and so he was bringing the ball to court much more often. Like, all right, fuck it. We can't get him. Can't get him open. Can't get him looks. He's getting walled off. Fine, just bring the ball up the court. And so he did. And so what happened was that that takes away Boston's ability to double team. You can't go double team Giannis from 30 feet. He's seven feet tall with gargantuan arms. You double team him with the ball coming up the court. Guess what? There's an open Middleton or an open Brogdon or a or an open Brook Lopez. You just cannot double off him 
to do that. So what they had to do was play him one-on-one, and Al Horford was getting tired, and Al Horford was getting beat. And you saw it when they brought in Shemi Oljelay. Shemi Oljelay got fucking torched for his nine minutes. And they, couldn't pl- and they brought in Aaron Baines, who could body him. Guess what? Aaron Baines isn't, isn't quite fast enough to stay in front of him. So I go, this is what's happening, which is that Eric Bledsoe is the guy who's now the – he's the second option. So once, the, once Giannis keeps softening up the defense, and then you know, maybe he takes a break or two, and then it becomes Bledsoe's turn who's even faster than Giannis breaking down, breaking down the defense. And so you can't double-team Giannis if he's got the ball 30 feet from the hole. So what are you going to do? Play one-on-one. If you play one-on-one, sag off him, he's going to sprint at you and get a running start. If you come up close to him, he's going to go by you. He's going to Euro. He's going to go around you. He's going to do his you know, angled-ass praying mantis, you know, <laughs> slow motion. He'll get around you and then slam it on your face. I go... This is the trick when Giannis becomes the, play, the, the initiator of the offense, and that's where Bledsoe becomes so important. So I digress, but I go, I, the mate, this series will come down to, right, they're going to have to hope he misses shots. They're going to have to keep that wall absolutely so mentally focused the way Boston did for one game. Like Gasol and Ibaka and Siakam are going to have to be so locked in all the time to keep that wall up, and they have to hope Bucks miss their shots, right? That's all you can do. Well, exactly. Um, you need you need some of those bucks, and that that's always been the question for the bucks: Are those guys going to hit the open shots that Giannis sure. is going to give them? But I just I do think this is a much better defense than what they've seen so far. I think you've got you're going to have periods where you've got five very good defenders sure. on the floor for at sure. the same time, uh, and that's going to be more of a challenge, I think. And I just yeah, you know, I, I guess we'll we'll find out very soon whether Boston were really that bad or whether Milwaukee were that good. Because if Milwaukee go in and, and steamroll Toronto as well, then you'll go, okay, you know, Boston will probably be as good as, as Toronto and Philly and Milwaukee just too good. Toronto's defense will be better. The difference, right, is like, like I said, is that what Boston was able to, because Kyrie didn't actually play, it was pretty bad, but Bledsoe was also <laughs> on defense, right? On defense, um, he was terrible. Well, well the, the same thing, Bledsoe was also probably aside from one or two flashes or a couple of quarters where Bledsoe was electric, right? He was pretty bad as well. That's why I'm saying if I will give benefit of the doubt to Nurse Gasol Ibaka, um, who's played a lot of basketball, a lot of very heady basketball, um, staying to their principles and staying focused and staying so mentally aware and keeping the communication going and everything. I'll give them benefit of the doubt where they are going to really, really be tested is backside, weak side, secondary play. Because if Fred Van Reed and um, Kyle Lowry on the floor, those are going to get exposed, exposed, exposed um, by Bledsoe in particular. And Brogdon, now that Brogdon's back, Brogdon is an elite finisher around the rim. So he looks, he doesn't look the part, Daz, but my, that guy has, a, I'd have to pull up the stats, he's a ridiculously effective finisher. So they got so many guys who can break you down then weak side. So if Giannis gets walled off, you can flick it out to Brogdon or Bud, so he can also just break you down on the back. And suddenly then you've got the strong side turning back into the weak side, and you've got, um, you know, 45% shooter from the corner, Chris Middleton, you know, floating baseline, and then Brooke Lopez pulling Gasol out to 30 feet, leaving that, the backside open. So I go, there's, there's so many ways the Bucks can counter their defense. If, if, if Toronto had a defender like a Marcus Smart or someone or two Danny Greens on, on the weak side, now you've got my attention, but anyway, I'm going way too deep into strategy, into X's and O's. 
Uh, well, what's Trump, it, so what's your absolute, prediction? Um, oh God, I hate predicting my own team. <laughs> I also am predicting. I'm going to predict Bucks in six. I think you're exactly right. I think it's going to go two, two, two. I think Bucks going to win the first two at home. I think Toronto's going to win both games, very close games in Toronto, yep. fueled by the energy. They'll probably win a really emphatic game three. They're going to eke one out in game four. Um, the Bucks will come home and consolidate home court and go up three two. But I think that I think the luck runs out on Toronto in game six. I actually think the Bucks win in Toronto in game six. Yep. So Bucks side. win two, Toronto wins two, Bucks win two. Okay. That's my gut. Are you similar? Oh, yeah. I am. Yeah, I'm exactly the same. Yeah. Exactly yeah. the same. So, all right, let, let's move quickly to the West. As we've got, uh, so when we spoke last time, we had uh, Golden State, Houston. Now Kevin Durant goes down injured in that series um, for Game Five, and of course Game Six. Uh, I sort of felt, and I said this to you, that I felt Game Six had a bit of a similar pattern to Game Six when San Antonio went in the Houston and actually blew them yeah. out. This one wasn't anywhere near as bad as that, but it's, it still was a, a loss that's going to leave a bit of taste in Houston's mouth, I think, uh, as yeah. the season goes on. But fair play, I mean, Golden State played really well, I think, in the second half, and Steph Curry was magnificent in the fourth quarter, but as soon as I saw and I didn't watch the I watched the second half but I didn't watch the first half as soon as I looked at the score at half time it's 54 all and I looked at the box score and said Steph Curry hasn't scored a point yet and has had three fouls and been on the bench and this is a tie game I said this is over like they're not going to they're not going to come back and win this and of course well that's how I played out and I never I don't know how you felt watching it in the fourth quarter I thought Golden State just had them at arm's length the whole time. I, I never felt Golden State were in that much danger of losing the game. But maybe we've just, you know, we're used to seeing Golden State win that much. We just assume they're going to win it. But uh, I, I didn't think they were in. They were in, and I just, I, I don't have faith. I guess that that Harden and Chris Paul are going to hit the big shots when they need to in that those circumstances, and they didn't um, in that game either. So it was a, it was a. It was a strange sort of game, and there there was a number of really low IQ plays that Houston pulled out at key moments that you just sort of had you shaking your head, and it was it was a bit of deja vu. You know the way they've exited from the playoffs the last three years have been you know the A for twenty seven, the collapse against San Antonio, and and obviously this one to lose without Kevin Durant. It's 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 going to be another tough off season. Yeah, and it's uh, we might be looking for it. And it a little bit looking for it, but also if you just watch the tape, it's three plays that stood out for me. And I think we were talking about this in real time, right? Which is the, the all of these were in the last two, three minutes of the game. Um, was the James Harden sprinting down the court with the stupid offensive foul. He threw his right arm out and shoved whoever it was with Katie or Clay, a very, very obvious offensive foul, which gave away a possession. And then the pick and roll at the top of the key when it started to get tight. Right, and their, their lead had been cut down to four, I think it was, at this point. Yep. And he threw that lollipop pass, like literally yeah. like floated it up in the air like this, almost like he was shooting a free throw to his teammate, but it was supposed to be a pass that got intercepted and went down and that turned into a, actually I think it was a seven-point game at that point, that turned into a three-pointer if they can cut the lead down to four. And then the most unbelievable inbounds pass you will ever see. Do you, remember, do you remember the inbounds pass where he's underneath the baseline oh, yeah. um, and throws it in and um, Clay Clay comes up and gets it. So Clay adjusted a three and comes in and steals an inbounds pass. And I think they got fouled and got two more free throws. Just three unbelievable 
like three unbelievable turnovers that it's just so hard to reconcile. Um, forget the flopping and eating for a moment. So hard to reconcile the NBA's leading scorer, right? Um, number two, probably MVP candidate. So hard to reconcile this 35-point-a-game score with the guy who does three plays that look like it's um, like it's a pickup game or preseason, right? Those plays are so mind-blowing, yet will continue, right? Consistent with what he's done in years past, like two years ago when he basically just sleepwalked. Game well, I think it, it, to me it was his defense that, that that cost them the game as much as anything. Oh, the defense as well. They were right there. The Kevon Looney play. Oh, yeah, they yeah. were right there at the start of the the, the fourth quarter, and, and Harden was on the bench, and they're actually playing really good defense. And they was they stopped the Warriors. I think the first two or three possessions, and actually had sort of started to build their lead again. And then D'Antoni, oh, I think they, they were keeping it at five, actually. I think they were keeping it the lead around five. And I thought, if they can go a bit longer yeah. with this, then you can do a bit of hard and ISO stuff. But I thought he went back to Harden too early. So as soon as Harden comes on, it's layup line time, Daz. And it's pointing and shaking your heads. And, yeah. you know, he was playing the Kyrie Irving sort of defense um, for Houston. And, uh, and you mentioned the, the Kevon Looney play, and that was just... You know what? What do you do? Like, and I think that was the disappointing thing. I think for Houston, too. there was a number of moments in that series and in that game where you just felt Golden State wanted it more, and and Looney was probably a guy. And I don't think anyone could accuse PJ Tucker of that, but Looney was probably the guy that that was the heart and soul of the Warriors in that sense. He played just really well. Yeah. Played well, but just got in after every loose ball and was just a bulldog in there. Yeah, and that, that's what going needed. And you know, they uh, there's there's no doubt. I think if you take it, it's interesting what Kevin Durant has done. Obviously, is just and when we spoke about this before, him coming into that team is just. Um, expanded their margin, or, or narrowed their margin, or sorry, expanded their margin fairer. So it means they can they can withstand an injury, and they're still probably going to be the best team in the league. And I think that's yeah. what we're seeing now. Even without Kevin Durant, this is the best team in the NBA, and uh, they yeah. they showed it mercilessly, mercilessly against Houston. They've they've won today pretty easily. We'll quickly talk about the Portland Denver game seven. Um, that was a big game from CJ McConnell. In that one, uh, he scored 37 points, hit a couple of really big shots down the stretch. Um, Denver just, to me, seemed to run out of puff a little bit. Um, and I worry that Portland might be running out of puff as we as we watch them in the Western Conference Finals. But uh, it's been a nice run for Denver. Nice, uh, I like the way that franchise is at, and we sort of, we've spoken with it a number of times in the playoffs. Um, and Jokic was a big story, etc. So I, I think, I just felt like they had gone as far as they could Ran out of a bit of puff right right towards the end in the game that, similar to Houston, Denver should have been out of sight in halftime in that game. And I think they were up seven and really should have been up 15 to 17 points, Daz, because Portland did not play well at all in the first half. And then Portland came back. And unlike San Antonio in the game seven in, in Denver, Portland took the lead. 
And once they took the lead, they didn't relinquish it. So that was a, a really nice win. Great moment for, for Portland and uh, well done to them after losing Nurkic. And I think everyone pretty much wrote them off. So after the disappointments of last year, knocked out by New Orleans in the sweep in the first round, for them to make the Western Conference Finals. Does it feel to you, I mean, I know you think this, this series is going to be a sweep. Does it feel like Portland have climbed the mountain now and, and that's it for them? Yeah, I think they won their Super Bowl. Um, but, but a terrific season, so I don't want to take away, right? The shot her around the world, you know, to defeat and send Russ home and the wave goodbye, and then to win game seven on the road, right? That's after being down, it was only nine at halftime, but as you said, they were putrid. They were, again, it was game seven nerves. Was it lack of execution? Was it all the, I think all those things were happening to both teams in the first half, but they shot something like 28% from the field and 9%, so they must have like 1 for 12 something from downtown. Nothing went in in the first half. So to then rebound and have a very productive um, second half, CJ was out of this world, just tough shot after tough shot after tough shot. Um, very, very worthy win, right? A, a set, Game 7 on the road, right? Awesome for Portland. I even say more awesome than for Portland. I think this is a Crushing might be stronger. As a, this is a really, really bad loss for Denver, though, right? Too. I think it was a bad loss. I wouldn't say it was a crushing yeah. loss. I think they'll Not get over this very loss. quickly. Yeah. As, yeah. I think they'll get over because they, they weren't beating Golden State anyway. So you know, you, you have a you end your season a week earlier than right. you otherwise would have. I think that's fair right. to say. Look, I, I think yeah. just quickly on this one, I think Portland are a bit more of a chance. To, to at least extend this series. I don't think they're going to win the series by any stretch. But I, Kevin Durant won't be back, I don't think, until maybe... I don't think he'll play the first four games of this series, would be my guess. Um, you reckon? On, on his condition, the more I yeah. look at it. Um, and I think, yeah, Portland going home with you know, no KD. And look, they were terrible today. I mean, they missed yeah. open shots. Their defence was awful. Uh, you know, Stotts even talked about it afterwards. They had a sort of a, a plan that they'd cobbled together, and the, the players weren't either, either weren't aware of it or didn't follow it. Uh, Damon CJ, like Steph, out, outscored them on his own. So you can't, you know, if if they continue to play that poorly and shoot that poorly, they've obviously got no chance. But I don't yeah. expect that to happen. I, I think they'll, I think they'll be more competitive in game two, and I could see them winning. One, maybe even both games back in Portland and maybe sending this one back. It's It's got a bit of a... You remember when the Raptors took the Cavs to six games a few years ago and you and it was just, you know, you, you never thought yeah. like the Raptors were ever going to win the series, but they did at least extend it out. I just got a feeling it may end up a series like that. Um, but, of course, you know, it is Golden State and if they really do get going and Draymond Green's playing at a ridiculous level at the moment... Clay's got his confidence back. He hadn't been shooting the ball well. Um, Steph's back in sort of alpha dog mode, if you like. So the, it, it is going to be difficult. But if, if if any of them guys have a bad game in them, this is a very, very thin roster now. So I, I could see Portland sneaking a couple of games and push the six. Similar, I guess, to the way that the Clippers did um, in the first round, where you never felt the Clippers were a chance of winning the series. But at least they um, took a couple of games off them and extended them. And I, I guess from the Bucks' point of view... They They'd be hoping the Warriors get a little bit extended um, as well in this series, uh, just so they don't go in fresh as the days of the NBA <laughs> yeah, Finals. I can't get ahead of myself, but I yeah, I hear you. <laughs> um, I think it's going to be a sweep. I think um, Portland won their Super Bowl. The emotional cliff is going to be enormous. 
Um, the talent gap is is vast, and you, you probably heard me say it offline, but I today it was again not just one data point, but Golden State play so differently without Kevin Durant. They play harder. They share the ball. Draymond can be full Draymond for 48 minutes. Was not standing around watching KD be spectacular. He has been, but there's no standing around. It does. It wasn't. But a week ago we were talking about what are the impact this is having that Steph Curry is becoming the secondary player on Golden State. That's not fun. It's not interesting. Mm. It's not good basketball. It's a bit, and it's just a bit not Golden State Warriors. And so um, it's a shame it's going to happen to Portland. But I would have loved to see Golden State, you know, with a bit of a more formidable foe with this um, without KD, say, for a series, because I I think it might confirm what all the world's been talking about for for three years now is that three years? This is third season there? Second season. No, third Third, season. Third season, right? Yeah, triples. Right, I go, Golden State's Golden State without Kevin Durant. And if he's gone, they're still Golden State. Well, that's the amazing thing, isn't it? They've never really integrated him. I mean, it's just been too easy. They haven't had to. But they've never so really good. integrated him. You don't need to integrate him. <laughs> into that be angry, style. get technical fouls, and you know shoots <laughs> basically almost 50, 40, 90, right as a seven footer. So you can't. I can never take away his ability to, to make shots. It's ridiculous. It's it's top five in the history of the league shot maker, right? Um, but you have got yeah. a, you've got a feel for him in this sense that we were talking only last week no, about this is... I do not have to feel for the guy who joined the 73 win. <laughs> but just hear me out, because last week we're sitting okay. there talking about, you know, this this will be his signature moment in Golden State. Like, he's averaging 35 games, he's, he's putting together this brilliant off-season, and everyone will look at this, this and say... And I was willing to say last week, I think if Kevin Durant's out, they're not going to win the title. And now, all of a right. sudden, yeah. he's out for three, well, two and a bit games, and Golden State look better than ever. <laughs> you know? Yeah, you just I know. <laughs> so even if he comes this back and they win the tie, he wins another <laughs> finals MVP, it's like, no, we don't need you. So I think he's definitely gone now. I think the, the big winner out of this injury has been the Knicks <laughs> because he's not even going to be thinking about, I, I do not want to go back here and have to watch this again. Um Watch. I mean, yeah, that's that's probably a bit unfair to him. I'm sure he's been enjoying the fact that they're winning. But um, I think if he knew that, well, I don't he... know. I don't know if that's a certainty. <laughs> no, I saw him. They had footage of him uh, oh. when they, in the game six. They actually had the camera on him. He was he was into the game. So fair play to him there. But um, but I think there's no doubt now that uh, th- this is now not going to be remembered as the Kevin Durant um, signature playoffs for Golden State. It's going to be remembered when we we we. We were reminded of the greatness of Steph Curry and how fun the Warriors were before yeah, he arrived. Yeah. So, and look, yeah. it'll be great for if he leaves. How good is next season going to be when we we come into Terrific. the season? Where it you know it shapes up as the greatest NBA yeah. season ever. Does the Boogie leaves and you got some maybe Golden State some fresh blood? Yeah, some fun. Well, like, I don't know. I'd have to look or... at their their salary cap. Uh, situation. I'm not sure they can bring in too many players at the moment. The way, the way they're set up with the, with the three. No, I know three guys. Even though they're not three max guys, but uh, anyway, well, that that's something we'll kick down the road. Dad. So, well, so I, I'm tipping Golden State in six. Um, you're tipping a sweep. Um, I, I fear I'm probably going to be on here next week saying, Daz, you're right about that sweep, but uh, <laughs> we'll see what happens. So we'll try and talk again next week, Daz. We'll certainly talk again 
um, well, we'll hopefully talk during the, the conference finals, but we'll certainly talk before the NBA finals. And we might even try and get um, a, a Golden a, a State friend, a mutual friend of ours, um, on the on the pod. There has been talk for a couple of years that we'll try and get him on the pod. So we try and make that happen if it is Golden State Milwaukee, uh, and that's how it plays out. Yeah, I think this is the time when there's a. Uh... No KD could be a bit of fun talking about talking about the Dubs. <laughs> I think so, he'll be back by the NBA I, I'll be honest. I, I mean, I, yeah, he'll be back. Yeah, and maybe the, yeah. Well, unless they, unless the Bucks sweep and well. and yeah. Warriors yeah. sweep. Well, I said the I did I had the same injury and I consider myself in about the same shape as Kevin Durant these days, and I can walk for a week. So yeah, and right. and apparently he is still in pain now. So um, as was pointed out uh, in the story I read today, I mean, they will want to want him to be first without pain and then actually work out a little bit um, as well. So there's there's still talk too that Boogie Cousins could be back um, before the end of the end of the playoffs as well. Whether that's a a help or a hindrance to Golden State, <laughs> and everyone <laughs> so yawned. We'll, yeah. we'll, we'll wait and see, but uh, yeah. there is there is talk he's trying to come back as well. So, look, there's yeah, good luck with the Bucks tomorrow. I know you you you've okay, buddy. cleared the decks with your work to to watch that tomorrow. I'll be uh, I'll be checking on it at some stage, I'm sure. Uh, but hopefully the Bucks can give Kawhi's just desserts as that uh, that Brett Brown and Philly weren't able to do. Maybe Kawhi needs to rest tomorrow. <laughs> I, think he, I think he needs to slow down a bit. Rest the he could be. That was too much. I mean, that 39 <laughs> shots was a bit too much for him. Oh, God. His arms are sore, too. Yeah. All right, buddy. That All right, good. mate. Good to talk Have to fun. you. We'll talk soon. Cheers, buddy. Bye. Bye.